Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Diane Katz, author of Win at Work, The Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution, Part 2 of 2. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Diane Katz, author of Win at Work, The Everybody Wins Approach to Conflict Resolution, Part 2 of 2. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Diane Katz, president of The Working Circle, shares with us her insights on how to deal with workplace conflict in a non-confrontational manner that enables everyone involved to win and the organization itself to function more productively. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. Now, Diane, in, in when at work, you observe that men and women handle conflict differently, and and we just talked about that a little bit. But you also observe as I think in most cases with most things in the world that the best way to handle workplace conflict is somewhere in the middle of the two. How would mm -hmm. you describe the masculine and feminine approach to handling conflict and what aspects of each should the leader, meaning the person at any level of the organization mm -hmm. really can be the leader, uh, use to deal with the conflict resolution constructively? Okay. When I say masculine and feminine, it's not necessarily a man and a woman. I, I need to clarify that. Okay. There is the more masculine style and the more feminine style, and I have seen men who've had a more feminine style and vice versa. So just to be clear on that point. Yes. The masculine approach to conflict is the more aggressive approach. Mm -hmm. It's it, And when you think of how organizations are designed and how cultures are, I mean, it, they have certainly have been very masculine. I mean, the shape of organizations, the the fact that when we fire someone, we terminate them. Um, uh, the way that so the way that the masculine style is is to be more aggressive, to be more in your face, to be confrontational, and that would be the the masculine side. The okay. feminine side is uh, more uh, withdrawing, uh, has a little more empathy, um, uh, has softer language, but not necessarily assertive. We're talking, you know, more of the conciliatory uh, style. 
if you go to an organization that is heavy on the masculine side, you get a lot of the locker room teasing at meetings. Um, there is, uh, there really is very much in your face. Um, uh, there's, there's really a take no prisoners kind of attitude. And if you go, and and conflicts generally um, are about who who's who's right and who's more powerful. Not necessarily what's best okay. for the organization. Mm-hmm. If you go to the more feminine organizations, which I've worked with a few, they're so nice to each other that nobody ever talks about conflict. And so there's no learning and there's no resolution of the issues. And if you go to where I talk about in my book, to be in the middle, that you can balance the masculine and, and the feminine, then you certainly, you have to be in people in people's faces sometimes, not in an aggressive way, in an assertive way. But if you and I were in conflict, there are times where I have to say, Nathan, we need to talk about what's going on, and I'd like to talk to you before the end of the week. I mean, you know, we have to do it. Sure. Um, and then we also combine the feminine side, which is even in the face of conflict, and this is what is so hard for for professionals to grasp and to really put into their daily practice, even in the face of conflict, we need to have compassion for each other. So even if I think that the other person, you know, is a horse's patootie and, and they're just ridiculous and and my God, they're giving me such a hard time, I still need to be able to address them in a way that I can have compassion. And so then I can problem solve with them and it doesn't have to escalate. And if you use, if you even look at what goes on in our country and politics, if we would do more of that, we could still have polarities, difference of opinion, but we could come to resolution rather than continuing polarization. Okay. Well, with those qualities in mind then, would you mind briefly describing your eight-step non-confrontational methods for resolving conflict for our audience? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it, the, the, this is a reflection of my doctoral work, and, and I've been using the working circle for about 15 years now, and I, I'm, I, I, in all modesty, I have to say that I've been using it. It's never failed me. So I'm, uh, I, I'll lay out the eight steps for you. Um, and you don't always have to use every step, but it gives you a framework. Mm-hmm. It's also not linear. So it, because it, as it is, it's called the circle. So you don't necessarily have to, um, always begin and always end, you know, in the same way, although there there are a few steps where you don't want to start putting coming to a solution at the very beginning, which a lot of people do. They start with a solution, yes, which is not the best place to start. So the first step is really, and this is if you think about people or even two teams sitting down and because they've decided that they need to come to resolution. So the first thing everybody would do would be to look at the situation as if you're a camera. Just the facts. So, Nathan, if you and I were in conflict, um, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be about that. I think you're wrong, or you think I did something ridiculous. We would just really talk about how long has this been going on, who's involved, what's the impact, and really look at it in totally factual manner. Just by doing that, 
you already start to defuse the situation because you're just talking facts. You're not talking emotions. You're not talking opinions. So okay. that's the first step. The second step, which is kind of you go back and forth between the second step and the third step, the second step is what's negotiable. So in terms of the situation, where, where, where is there room, in, from my point of view, from my side? Where, where, where do I see that there might be some room for negotiation or where that I, I can find some compromise? Again, we, and we, we do this together. So you might say one area that you're willing, you know, that you can see some room for negotiation, and I might. And again, this, is, this also helps to defuse the situation. Okay. The third step is, in contrast to that, um, what's non-negotiable. And this is what I call, what hill am I willing to die on? So I've looked at the situation, I've looked at what's negotiable, and now I'm saying, you know, this is non-negotiable. So if you and I were in conflict at work, I might say, it's totally non-negotiable. We can't go beyond July 31st on this because August 1st, everything has to be done. So that might be, all right? So that's sure. That's, so we've looked at the situation, what's negotiable, what's non-negotiable. The fourth question, the fourth perspective, is something that is not done very often at, at work. And that is, the question is, when have we dealt with something like this in the past, and what have we learned from it? A lot of times when we sit at meetings and, and, and some new intervention is uh, introduced, there's usually one person who says, oh, we did that three years ago and it didn't work. And generally that person is viewed negatively. And what I try and do with that kind of person is say, okay, it didn't work, but what did you learn from it? And so I try to really instill in this question to have a learning organization. Sure. And so we look at what's happened in the past and we say, what have we learned from it? What do we take from the past so that we don't have to keep repeating it? Then the next question is, and now we're kind of looking at how at our feelings, and this generally is a is a rather uh, quick response. Do we feel like we have enough information to come to some resolution, to come to some decision? We've looked at the situation, we've looked at what's negotiable and non-negotiable, we've taken past learning. Do we feel like we can move on? Okay. okay. Sometimes the answer is yes, and then we move on. Sometimes the answer is no, and we go back. That's why I reinforce the fact that it's a circle. Sure. Then the, si the sixth question is, okay, and this is where we are linear, and this is where we're doing what we're most used to uh, at work, especially in the Western world. What's our game plan? What are we going to do? Okay, so Nathan says, you're going to do this, I'm going to do that, and we come to, and, and then we, we perhaps are documenting this. Um, we talk about maybe who else needs to know about what we're doing. This is this is this is what we're best at, and that is the plan, putting the plan together. Okay. By now, everybody says, okay, we're done. And I say, wait a minute, this is an eight-step process, and we've only done six. Number seven, which um, we really start to look at the consequences of our actions. If we say what we say, if we do what we say we're going to do, how will this change the situation? How will this change me? How will this change you? How will this change the relationship? We really look at the transformative aspects of the resolution because what I practice is called transformational conflict resolution. It's not just about resolving the issue. It's about learning new behavior so we don't keep repeating ourselves over and over again. 
Okay. And this part, this when everybody does this, you I really start to see around the room. I get to see, oh, oh yeah, oh oh yeah, that would be great. And so the last question, which comes, which comes to us, and generally ninety nine times out of a hundred, the answer is yes. Is this good for the future? And I'm not talking about the next quarter. I'm really talking about the next future, next the the you know way beyond a year, which is long okay. term in today's world. But yes. that's the eight steps. Great. Well, now Diane, in Win at Work, you present eight different conflict situations that the eight step method could be applied to, and then you present. And I really like these. They're stories that walk you through and, and provide a great deal of illustration as to what the situation would actually look like and, and how it would be resolved. Would you mind sharing just one of those eight with the audience? Sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll pick the uh, challenge number six that's in the book. Uh, when I was in human resources, when I was within organizations, um, I did a lot of interviewing. And one of my questions that I would ask people was, uh, what kind of boss drives you crazy? Mm-hmm. Every single time I got the same answer. I don't want somebody over my shoulder all the time. I don't want to be micromanaged. So I wrote this challenge with all those people in mind. And the <laughs> challenge is, do you get your boss off your back or do you continue to be micromanaged? Okay. Um, uh, and, and I don't really say what you should do, but I really help people to come to a decision on what they want to do. I help people make decisions rather than tell them what they should do. And if one decides to deal with a micromanaging boss, then here's some things that one can do. Um, first of all, and this becomes extremely important, make sure you're doing your job. Make mm-hmm. sure that your slate is clean. Because a lot of times people go and it's far easier to complain about other people than to look at your own self. But make yeah. sure you're doing a good job. Then the next thing is um, ask for, figure out, figure out what, where are your boss is coming from? What, where, what's, where's, the, where's your boss's worries? Is it that they're very nervous about pleasing their manager? Is it that um, in this economy, um, because the numbers might not be as positive as they've been in the past, that they're overly worried about the numbers? What, whatever it is, try and understand where your boss is coming from. Because if you can understand where the insecurity or worry, because I believe a lot of times micromanagers are insecure, um, mm-hmm. then, you can, then you can address that. Once you've figured that out, go to a- ask to have some time with your boss, either if you can in person, that's the best, uh, and, and, and explain that you really want to do a great job and you think you can do a better job, and I'm not giving you the words. Everybody has to find the words that they're most comfortable with. But you can do a better job if you had a bit more autonomy. And if you had a bit more autonomy, this is what you would do, and this is how you would provide information and report back to your manager so that they would feel comfortable. And would they be willing to to give you that measured increase in autonomy 
if if you followed these steps? And are there other steps he or she would like you to do so that you could have a little more room, a little more decision-making authority? And then see where the where the conversation goes from there. As we talked about before we started recording our interview, these eight are really powerful examples. And I would encourage people just to pick up your book, if for nothing else, that they would get the eight examples to go with the working circle so that it can help them through some of these situations that they deal with all the time. If I could summarize a few of them, just a, you know, one is about do you ask for a raise or not? Okay. Um, how do you deal with a how do you deal with a, a difficult coworker or a partner? Um, mm-hmm. What happens if you see something that's not exactly okay in your organization? How do you handle that? Um, what do you do with a bully? So there's it really it really crosses the range of experiences that most of us have. It does, and. I could relate these stories at different points of my career in different organizations. And mm-hmm. I'm a visual guy, so I love having an illustrated example. And you taught me through those illustrated examples as to how to think through and apply the working circle. So I wouldn't necessarily have the exact words to use, as you said. I have to come up with my own words. But it it provided me that picture that then I could mm-hmm. could see myself, oh, this is what I would say, given my it, personal situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've used it from my own work life, plus every story in the book is true. I mean, obviously I've changed the names to protect the innocent and the guilty, mm-hmm. but but they're all, they're all true, and, and, and that's what's so wonderful because, you know, people give us such – rich examples and and I was talking to someone yesterday about about the intergenerational conflict that's occurring at work mm-hmm. and that this actually can also help in terms of that so that we can so that one generation can manage uh and and work with another generation now Diane I'm sold on the working circle and I want to improve on my conflict resolution skills using that as a model, what actions do you recommend that I take? I do have a copy of your book, and I've read your book. What do I do now to improve on my conflict resolution skills? Well, what I've been hearing from people who've, who've read the book uh, and, and from people who've attended my seminars is they start to practice. They first practice personally, in personal situations, mm-hmm. uh, and they they kind of role play or they talk about situations or they practice the skills. I've had a lot of professionals who've attended my seminars and then say, I went home and tried it with my teenage son. So it, practicing, and there's two communication skills that I talk about in the book, and one is called iMessages, which to be able to say what's bothering you, how how angry you are, how much you might disagree with someone else, or whatever it is that that is the issue for you when you're in conflict with someone else, to be able to say it without blaming, without accusing, and using non-charged language, that requires a lot of practice because I venture to guess that most of us did not grow up that way. And so practicing the communication skills whenever you can is really important. And then the, the third 
third thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple more. Um, the third thing is to, and, and this again, I repeat, this is a really hard one, is to be able to sit in a meeting or, or, or be at work with someone who you really don't like or, or have been in conflict with and try and understand their point of view. Be empathetic. Uh, even though you still won't agree with them and whatever it is, but but really practice at being empathetic. Another piece of research I read having to do with emotional intelligence is that one of the characteristics and the most important characteristics of a, a characteristic of a successful leader is compassion. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is we want to work for someone who respects us and we think cares about us as a human being. And so the last thing is is to really go back to the book and look at the eight situations and see, compare and contrast to the current situation you're in and then take take the situation that's the closest and go through the working circle. Okay. Now, if I as a leader want to further extend the skills of conflict resolution out to maybe it's my peers and it could also be the workforce at large, within my organization, are there any things that you would recommend that I do in that situation? I sat down about six weeks ago with um, a senior executive at a Fortune 50 company, Mm -hmm. and we talked exactly about your question right now. And what what we talked about, and my suggestion was that the senior leader should start with his or her senior management team and that they should receive training, coaching, and reinforcement, because far too often we give people coaching and training, and then we don't reinforce it, and and the money money was wasted. So start with your senior management team and talk about, talk about the business. I mean, we're not just, this isn't about we're all going to, you know, hug and sing kumbaya. Talk about the business and what gets in the way and I would suggest that this needs to be a facilitated conversation because otherwise old habits and patterns. But if you start with the senior group and then they model new behavior, then you can have great positive impact on how conflict is handled in an organization. Sure. And I'm a firm believer in the organization is really a reflection of the leadership team. It certainly is. It is every single time. Yes. Now, Diane, before we close, you have a website, and it's www.theworkingcircle.com that provides additional mm-hmm. resources on how to constructively deal with workplace conflict. Could you tell us a little bit about your website and the resources our listeners can find on it? Well, um, you can uh, uh, get my book. Uh, that would be one. <laughs> Um, and then you can see the services that my company performs from team building where we use the working circle so it's learning and application uh, and, and really looking at the different, what we, what we provide, what the working circle uh, provides the company. All right. Great. Well, I want to thank you not only for your time but for sharing your insights on how to effectively deal with workplace conflict in a way that is non-confrontational and really does allow everyone to win. You know, I hope our listeners 
will pick up a copy at Win at Work. But more importantly, I really hope that they'll apply the working circle method that you presented in order to help them resolve their conflicts so that they can feel better about themselves, they can feel better about their coworkers, their bosses, and ultimately, they and their organizations will become more productive. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Nathan. I, I, I really I, I enjoy talking with you during the interview, before the interview, and I, I really uh, your questions were absolutely wonderful. So oh. I, I, I really enjoyed being, being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Diane Katz for being with us today and sharing her insights on resolving workplace conflict. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Diane Katz and When at Work at www.theworkingcircle.com. Until next time, so long.